0: We come to you tonight knowing that you are the only true giver of true peace, and uh, Lord, we are amazed by you, we are blessed by you, and Lord, we're blessed to be here tonight to, to just gather together in your name uh, openly, freely, on such a beautiful evening. Uh, Lord, our, our prayer is that you move powerfully through the Iwana the uh, ministry tonight. Bless the children there and the workers, uh, keep them safe, and keep your hand of protection there, Lord. And and uh, open their little ears to hear from you, and uh, Lord, we ask that you open our little ears in here to hear from you tonight. Uh, bless us as we spend time in your word tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen, amen. Well, thank you, and it's awful hard to get mad for a blessing like that, so, <laughs> wow. Oh, all right, well, if you would open up with me your Bibles this evening to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. If you'll remember, we started, if you've been with us since we started our journey through the book of Genesis, it's been a little over six months ago. And uh, when we started, I kind of outlined for you and kind of laid out a little bit of an outline, if you're a big, broad outline thinker through this, that the first part of Genesis covers four major events. It covers creation, it covers the fall, it covers the flood, and then it covers the, the table of nations where the, the people were dis- dispersed, if you would. Then it turned its focus to four major people. And we've talked about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And here, Starting in chapter 37 through the remainder of the book of Genesis, we're going to look at that last major character, and that is Joseph. Uh, It's 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 funny when you think about this, and you and you look at this in totality. We've spent now we're basically three quarters of the way through the book of Genesis, and now this one character, this one main storyline, now the life of Joseph, is going to take up one quarter of the book of Genesis. And it's an amazing story. And again, as I talked with you when we went through the life of Jacob, here again is a, a familiar story. If you've been around church at all in your life, you've heard the story of Joseph many times. But I tell you, as we spend time and we go through it and we, and we study it and we seek God's application for our lives, I know that you'll be blessed as we go through it together. So one of the things that uh, that you may have heard uh, being Taught before or gone through, and I, I don't want to take a, a, a stand against this, however, a lot of people will point to Joseph as a type of Christ, and you'll remember if you've re- gone through this before typology is a direct correlation to you know a, a fulfillment in the New Testament, and a lot of people point to Joseph as a type of Jesus well Again, the, 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 there's a lot of similarities. We can, there's a lot of parallels that you can draw. You know, he was a shepherd. He's loved by his father. He was, he was uh, sent to his brothers, and his brothers hated him. They, they sold him for silver. I mean, there's a lot of parallels that you can draw. But there's one glaring omission, and that is a New Testament reference to back up the fact that there's that typology that's drawn. Again, not that it's, that it's wrong, not that people are, are wrong in their efforts to try to draw correlations, because we're going to do that a lot. There's a lot of parallels to it, but the, the direct typology is not backed up in the New Testament. So I, don't wanna, uh, I want to avoid trying to over-spiritualize some of the connections. Forgive me if I do, because it's, it's easy to do, but we want to try to stick to the, the text and what it directly tells us. So Genesis chapter 37 Starting verse 1, it says, Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Now those four sons of those two would be Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Those are the four sons that he was directly working with here specifically. Later on, as we get into our story later on in this chapter, it will be with his ten older brothers, but here specifically referring to the sons of Bilhan, and Zilpah, those are the four. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, that being Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers, verse 4, saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Now, it doesn't tell us specifically directly here in our text, but it does point to the fact that though Joseph is the eleventh son born, he basically has almost like a leadership role, if you would, over his brothers in the shepherding. That word that is translated here, pasturing the flock, literally can mean shepherding the flock, taking, again, kind of that higher role amongst his brothers. But also, the word that is, in tec- you know, growing up, and you've heard the story, Joseph in his many-colored coat, that's kind of the way we've we probably all heard the story as, as children growing up, that it was a multi-colored coat, If you have a marginal reference in yours, you'll probably see that it references in, let's say, a full-length coat. Another possible translation is a a coat with long sleeves. And both of those translations or both of those understandings would indicate, again, a a point of prominence, someone who is in a leadership role. The workers had short sleeves so the sleeves wouldn't get caught up in the work. The, The foreman or the overseers, if you would, had long sleeves. And so that is one of the things that is here whether, however you want to look at it, Joseph was definitely the favored son. It tells us that very plainly. He had special authority. He was given a favored position with his father. And in verse 2, it tells us that he brought back a bad report about these four brothers to his dad. Now, we can look at that as saying, you know, like he's a snitch or a gossip. But He's doing what, again, his father had sent him out to do, to watch over. We're going to see. He does that again later on, sends his son out, sends Joseph out to check up on the boys. So he's doing what he was supposed to do. He was accountable to his father, and he was doing what he was called to do. But Jacob really puts Joseph in basically a no-win situation. He's, he's putting him out there and saying, you know, I need you to go check up on him. I want you to watch over him and report back to me if there's anything negative, anything bad going on. What's Joseph supposed to do? He's doing what he's supposed to, but this just embitters him towards his brothers even more. We need to be careful, and just a quick point to make on this, that we don't put people in bad positions that we have authority over. A couple of examples. With our children. Phone rings. Caller ID tells you who it is. You tell your kids, answer it, tell them I'm not home. Hmm. You're you're, you're putting your your kids in a bad position. You're teaching them bad things. You you put them out there and you say, okay, well, do this for me. Or watch your your brother and let me know if he's doing something. You're putting your child in a no-win situation. Employers, or if you are a supervisor at work, and you put another employee in charge and you say now i want you to watch this other person and you let me know if they're doing anything wrong you are putting them in a horrible position because they work for you they need to do what you tell them to do but you're putting them in a position that you should be doing and and making them you know possible reciprocating effects to them being very negative so we got to be very careful of that but here again we see In illustration, and like I said, I don't want to over-spiritualize things, I don't want to uh, do this overly, but the father gives the son a direct thing to do, and he's more concerned about pleasing his father than he is about pleasing his brothers and trying to look good in front of his brothers. And that is something that we all need to do. We need to seek to please God first. And everything else, there shouldn't be a close second in that race. We should seek to please God above all other things and nothing else, even a close second. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Seeking him, seeking to please the Lord in all that we do. And I, I see that that is Joseph. What he's trying to do is please his father. Well, if you look at verse 4, it says that they, they, they noticed that Jacob favored Joseph and it says, so they hated him. They hated him. Now, last week, if you'll remember, we went going through chapters 34 and 35, we saw a couple of just horrific things that happened. Two of the sons, Simeon and Levi, getting revenge for their daughter's rape. They murder an entire village of people. We, we saw how Reuben, the oldest son, slept with one of his father's concubines. Again, horrible, exa- horrible sin in their lives. And the point I want to make with this is that Hatred, bitterness, jealousy often begins because of sin in our own life. Shortcomings that we have in our own life will cause us to have anger and bitterness and hatred towards other people. We see God blessing other people, and and we desire to have that. But instead of dealing with our own issues, we lash out against them. If you'll remember, about six months ago, we saw that happen with Cain and Abel. Instead of Cain doing what was right, he lashed out against his brother who did the right thing. God blessed it, and instead of dealing with it himself, he lashed out against his brother. None of us would like to admit that that's a part of our life. And I hope and I pray that everyone in this room, it isn't, that, that hatred and those types of things would seep in and, 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 and anger towards, towards someone else. But we all need to be um, open to God showing us and revealing things to us. And there's a couple of things, and I see this as one of the warning signs that we need to always put in front of us. It says that they could not speak to him uh, on friendly terms. Now, what that literally means is they could not speak peace about him. And hatred, anger towards someone, bitterness towards someone will do that. If you, you've, you've heard it said, uh, I'm sure your, your parents at one time said, maybe your mom said, if you can't say something nice about somebody, don't say something at all, right? I would tell you as your pastor and as a spiritual leader, if you can't say something nice about somebody, that's a serious problem. That's a heart issue of yours. You you need to, as a follower of Christ, there, there should be a multitude of things that you could say peaceably good about anyone. You might have disagreements. We're all going to. I have disagreements with my wife, with my children, but I could give you a plethora of things that I love about them and that are good about them. There should never be a situation with an individual that we cannot say something good about, and if there is, again, that's a heart issue of ours. The problem is ours, not theirs, and we see that here. It, it's huge. They're harboring bitterness and hatred towards their brother. Proverbs four four twenty three tells us that we are to diligently watch, guard our hearts. We should place a watch continually over our hearts, and if there's any of those warning signs that ever creep in, we need to deal with it immediately. First John 4:20 says, "If someone says, "I love God and hates his brother," he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot possibly love God whom he has not seen." That is a powerful verse. If we claim that we love God, yet we say, I can't stand that person, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Well, our text continues, verse 5, it says, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I had. For behold, we, are, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheave rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf." Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, He had still another dream and related it to his brothers. And he says, lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now here we see two dreams. And again if you've if you've read the story before, you've known you've heard these dreams before, but the one thing that we know as we f- read the story and we know the story is these dreams came directly from God. How do we know that? They came true. They came true. So we know because we've read further along, we know the story that these come directly from God. But the brothers' reaction as we see it to the first dream their hatred grew even more towards their brother Joseph. But after the second dream, this is interesting, and this just this fascinated me today as I thought about this. What does it tell us their reaction was after the second dream? They became jealous of him. Now let me ask you a question. If I told you that I had a dream last night that I won the megabucks, bajillion dollar lotto, would you be jealous of me? of course not. It's a dream. You, don't, you wouldn't want that dream because you'd get all excited and then you'd wake up and you'd realize it wasn't true. <laughs> you can't be jealous about a dream. So what were they really jealous of? They could see in Joseph something about him. They could see in Joseph something that backed up what he was saying. And that's what made them jealous. They wanted it for themselves. They wanted that that peace that he must have had. They wanted that calling and anointing on their life that they could see must have been happening with their brother. And the other part of envy and jealousy is not only did they want it, they didn't want him to have it. And guys, that's such a dangerous place to be. Again, I know that we, hopefully, everyone in this room doesn't struggle with this, and you're taking notes because you'll share it with someone who does need to hear it, but I believe that all of us from time to time need to understand this. Jealousy and envy is twofold. One, it's we want what they have, but secondly, it's we don't want them to have it. And that's where, again, the bitterness and anger comes in. Acts 7, verse 9 tells us that this is why they sold their brother into slavery. It wasn't because they hated him. It was because they were jealous of him. And again, you don't become jealous over a dream. You see something in somebody. You see what's happening. Now, Jacob, it tells us, his dad, it says that he rebuked him for what he said. And in this, we see pride and arrogance in, in dad, we see that he is saying, am I going to bow down to you, son? Really? As a matter of fact, dad, <laughs> your very life is going to depend on it someday. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And this back in that culture was foolish. A father bow down to his son, foolishness. But God uses those things to, to turn the world upside down. It'll turn Jacob's world upside down. It'll turn the whole family's world upside down when they know the truth. We'll find that out in about 10 chapters. Notice what it says, though. It says at the end of our verse in verse 11, it says his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Again, when I think about that, you don't keep something that you dismiss out of hand as something foolish in mind. To me, again, I think that what Jacob is seeing here is he's seeing something that might be, might be true in what Joseph is saying. He sees Joseph. Obviously, he sees some spe- something special about his son. And though he rebuked him, I, I think that while he's holding on to this, he's thinking, hmm, there might be something here. What should have Jacob's reaction been? Well, I think we see it in the story of Samuel and, and the, the priest Eli. Samuel, if you remember the story, Samuel, he's a young boy, he's working in the temple, and he hears this call, Samuel, Samuel, in the middle of the night, and he gets up and he runs into Eli, and he says, what do you want? And Eli says, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, you called me, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel goes back to bed. Samuel, Samuel, he gets up, runs in. Eli, Eli what do you want? I didn't call you, go back to bed. Eventually, again, instead of rebuking Samuel. Eli tells him what, what, his, what Jacob should have said to Joseph. Eli, that's God talking to you. Next time you hear that, you go and you say, listen, speak, Lord, your, your servant's listening. You go ahead, I'm listening. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He, he resists all of the pride that we see in, in Jacob and in all of the sons, and he gives grace to the humble. Well, people look at this, and again, reading through commentaries, I, I, I have to admit, again, just like I have before, I, I struggle when I read that people are saying that Joseph was just some arrogant little kid. I, when I read, when I look at verse 9, I don't read it when he says, I, I had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and even the 11 stars were bowing down to me. What do you think about that? That's not how I hear Joseph's voice. I hear Joseph's voice coming and basically saying, I had this dream and the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, they were bowing down to me. I, almost like I, I, don't, I don't understand what it means. I don't, I don't fully get it. I don't see arrogance and pride there. I almost see, you know, again, that you can't help but think the kid was a little spoiled. Dad was doing his best to make sure of that. But I don't see some arrogant kid here. I see somebody who's kind of reaching out, trying to understand himself. Granted, though it doesn't give us direction on that, I'm, I'm, I will tell you, I'm sharing my opinion with you. I see here just some indiscretion, just some lack of wisdom, lack of maturity, if you would. Some, some uh, youthful enthusiasm, maybe. Excited about the dream, a little confused by it. And in that, I just say that God has times where he will reveal things to us that are just for us at just that time. Many times, God will reveal a truth to us that other people that are around us might not be ready to hear yet, yet. Jesus many times healed sick and lame people and what did he say? Go tell everybody? No, everybody's not ready to hear this yet. He would tell them, you keep this between you and me few of them if any listened they went out and told everybody but jesus said be quiet for now and there's there's wisdom in that at times and in our youth we can we can run out ahead of ourselves even as parents if you if you are taking your kid your kid comes up and he says you know i don't i don't feel very good okay we're going to go to the doctor and on our way to the doctor i'm going to explain to you how our family insurance deductible works Some information our kids don't need to know. They don't need to be brought into that. The truth is, we have insurance, we're going to go to the doctor, and we're going to get you well. I was asking today for an illustration of this, because I, 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 I think this is a very important point, because God will speak to us at times. And, and there's times when the information needs to come out, but not quite yet. And we need to pray for discernment and wisdom. And I was asking for illustrations around the office because I was really kind of struggling with this. And <laughs> Pastor Tony, I love this. He says, I got the perfect illustration for you. God told me way before that Melissa, his wife, and him started dating, he said, He told me that's going to be your wife. And I ran out right away and told her and her friends. And they hadn't even gone out on a date yet, a little premature. A little ahead of time. God revealed that to you. Great truth. Maybe wait till you've dated a few times. Then you can go out and share that. Anyway, some things are just for us now, and we need to wait on God. Other things, by the way, are the exact opposite, though. God tells us to do something, and it seems like those are the ones that the difficult ones where we say, okay, I'm going to hold on to that for a while. And God says, no, now. Like with Jonah, go now. So there's two sides to that coin. Well, moving along, verse 12. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flocks in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Shechem. Sound familiar? We were just there last week. What in the world are they doing back in Shechem? Shechem is where we talked last week. This is where the, the Dinah, the, the, Jacob's daughter, was raped, and, and the, the two brothers step out and mur- murder the whole family. You would think they'd want to stay as far away from that place as possible, yet they go right back there. And word gets back to, to Jacob that this is where the boys are, and he's like, "Oh, go, you've got to go check out on them, Check them out." Going right back, and this is one of those things, you watch, you're, you're listening to this, you're reading through it, and I, can, I put myself like sometimes like I was watching a movie. Shechem, bad place, don't want to be there, horrible place. Brothers hate him, all of this kind of stuff. Dad says, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you go check on your brothers? And you're like screaming at the TV, no, don't go. The, 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 the axe murderers out there, don't go that way. Yet he says, I'll go, I'll go. You know, this same word that is translated here, I will go, if you'll turn to Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah chapter six, and I'll read Isaiah six, the first eight verses. It says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I have lived among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. The same word that Joseph uses in our text. Here am I, send me. And while the situations obviously are very different in this, in our Isaiah text, we see clearly what is required for us to be sent by God. First of all, we need to have humility. We need to have a clear understanding of our situation. You see, the first five chapters, if you read through Isaiah... He's pointing at all of the people saying, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you, you sinful people. But verse six, when he sees God on his throne, he says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. All of a sudden now, understanding that in the very presence of God, we are all here on the same level. We are all on the same playing field. And it's only, only by the grace of God that we are saved only by the grace of God that our sin is taken away. You've probably heard the, 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 the story of where two, two people are walking down the street. I've heard several different people, Spurgeon and Moody and several others, being credited with the funny. It doesn't really matter who actually said it. But the point was one looked at the, in the gutter, and there was a, a homeless man drunk passed out in the gutter. And the one man said, oh, how disgusting. Look at that. And his response was, oh, but by the grace of God go I. Basically, I'd be right there next to him if it wasn't God touching my life. And Isaiah, realizing that, overcome by God's grace and mercy, having now a burden for those who are still lost and still blind, regardless of what happens to him, says, I'll go. I'll go. You want somebody to take your message out? I'll take it. I will go. A willingness to do whatever is asked. Basically saying, Father, whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, to whoever you want me to speak. And in that I see Joseph's heart here. Regardless of what my brothers think of me, regardless of what might happen to me, Dad, if you're telling me to go, I'll go. Some people, again, some commentators have have stated that it shows that neither Jacob nor Joseph understood the hatred that their brothers had towards him. I find that really hard to believe, especially from Joseph. We know how kind of disconnected Jacob is. We saw that last week kind of see it maybe even a little bit more today. But Joseph had to know, had to know. But he said, you know what, I'll go, I'll go. And that needs to be our heart. Regardless of who God is sending us to speak to, regardless of where God is sending us, regardless of what might happen to us when we get there, we need to be willing to go. Here am I, Lord, because of what you've done for me, because you've taken me out of the miry clay, because you've set my feet on solid rock, I'll go, I'll go. Well, verse 15 He gets to Shechem, a man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and a man asked him, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, they have moved on from here, for I heard them saying, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went up after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now Dothan, if you again have a marginal reference, will tell you, it literally means two wells or two cisterns. When they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Now then, come let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. And we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. Amazing what's happening here. They've gotten away from home. They've been away for several days. They're sitting there and they're stewing and they're talking and they're muttering and they're murmuring. Can you believe this brother of ours? Going on and on. And then they see him. And it says, here comes the dreamer. Literally it says, behold, this master of dreams comes. Muttering, murmuring, speaking negatively. They're they're talking about killing him. They're plotting how to do it. Nothing comes from that. Nothing good comes from that. Muttering, murmuring, talking about people. Nothing good. Only evil comes from that. It's a horrible, again, a horrible place to be. Did you know, and this is proven psychologically and everything, but you know it's true, too, if you've ever been a part of it. People become who you talk about, or what you speak of them. What do I mean by that? When you are talking with someone about somebody, and you are convincing, talking back and forth, and in agreement with somebody, they become that in your mind. They become that in the minds of the people that are there. You might be thinking that it's really relatively harmless, but they become that in your mind, and the minds of others that are there. And Exaggeration is a common thing when we get together, is it not? When we start talking about things, exaggeration exaggeration happens all the time. <laughs> That's an exaggeration. You know what? They never help out. They never serve. You know what I'm saying? They're just a lazy, good-for-nothing oaf. They always want their way. Always. They just want to be king and queen. That's what comes into our minds. He had two dreams and shared it with them. And here where they're talking and they've been stewing over this and going on and on and on. And all of a sudden, behold, this master of dreams comes. Two dreams. But they were murmuring talking and rolling this over and he's become this now in their minds bottom line is gang we know this again we talked about it already who gave him the dream god did when when god places a calling on someone's life whether it be from big ministry little ministry involvement here or doing things, when God calls someone to ministry, when God places a specific anointing on someone's life, we have two choices. We can become bitter. We can become angry. We can say, I want that. They don't deserve it. What, what, what are they doing in that position? That's mine. I want it, especially if it's something that we've been involved in that it's a ministry that we've been doing or a job or a position we've had, that's mine, I'm gonna hold on to this. Or we can completely surrender to what God is doing and say, how can I help? How can I come alongside you and help you and assist you in this? These 10 brothers should have been doing whatever they could to help their little brother along, to grow him up, to give him the tools that he needs. Instead, Again, they were bickering and fighting and angry and trying to figure out how to kill them. We can get in the way of God's plan. We can get in the way of what God is doing with people. We can get in the way with what God is doing in ministry. And guys, trust me, God's going to get his work done. God's going to get his plans through and we can either come alongside and, and get along with the program, or we can get completely run over by it, just like these brothers are going to. Now again, I'm sure I'm talking to a whole bunch of people that would never have that problem, but just in case you come across someone someday, we've got a great illustration here of what can happen. Well, we see Reuben, the oldest brother, he intervenes and he convinces the other brothers not to kill Joseph. And we can see in our, in our text here, it says, it gives us a little footnote, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. Reuben's thinking, okay, I'm gonna convince him not to kill him. We're gonna throw him in the pit. We'll, maybe we'll just leave him in there, whatever, playing along with the whole thing. But later on, his plan is to come back, pull Joseph out, restore him to dad. That's the plan. Reuben's the oldest son. Rubin should have stepped in in here and said, listen, guys, this is ridiculous. This is, our, this is our brother, our own flesh and blood. We can't do this to him. Yeah, we might not be happy about the dreams, but he should have st- stepped in and stopped it. But he was a coward, and he wimped out. And, and he's more concerned with his, own, with his other brother's reaction than he is about the truth and what he should do. You can tell he's obviously ha- wrestling with his conscience. He knows what should be done, but he's ignoring that. And he's, he's, he's more concerned about his own hide. He might even be thinking, you know what? If I stand up too strong for, for Joseph, they're gonna, they might kill me too. They might, they might kill me and cover the whole thing up that both of us got killed. All of us could probably quote John 3.16. But 1 John 3.16, and I, this blessed me many years ago, I love 1 John 3.16 as well. It should be one that we all memorize as well. It says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That should be the natural reaction for the fact that we understand he laid his life down for us. This is love. He laid his life down for us. We ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. But so often, our own life becomes far more important than my brother's life. What I want going for me becomes far more important than what is going on there. Remember when we went through Philippians last year. We need to put others' needs ahead of our own. Joy, you want joy in your life? The acronym, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Again, Reuben's more concerned with his own skin, and he's got a plan, hoping it'll work, it doesn't. Verse 23, so it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it, then they sat down to eat a meal, and as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Don't kill him. We can't make any money that way. There's, there's, there's no profit in killing him, so, so, so let's, let's, let's sell him off. Let's, let's get rid of him. We, we, we can't stand him. Here's a, here's a solution to our problem. Let's, let's make some money in this whole deal. We'll sell them. Trying to lessen their guilt, maybe. Trying to make themselves feel better. It's not so bad. We didn't really kill them. First John 3, 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Doesn't sugarcoat it a bit. Again, if he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Instead, they sell them for a bunch of, bunch of money. In summary, again, hatred, bitterness, jealousy has no business in a family, much less the family of God. And we need to guard our hearts, we need to put a guard around it continually. Ask God to search our hearts. Is there is there anyone that that I need to go and make right with, Lord? If, if am I holding on to bitterness? Am I holding on to anger and jealousy? I heard it said one time that that bitterness towards someone is drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. It'll tear you up. It'll it'll ruin you. It'll 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 tear apart your ministry. It'll tear apart your ability to to serve God. We all need to continually. Be going before the lord with that well verse 29 now reuben returned to the pit and behold joseph was not in the pit so he tore his garments he returned to his brother and said brothers and said the boy is not there and as for me where am i to go now all of a sudden again i'm in charge i'm the oldest what am i going to do he's he's not there they must have told him at that point that that what they had done so they took joseph's tunic tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood And then they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this, please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in, the morning, in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Reuben goes back, Joseph's gone, now what? Well, we gotta come up with some scheme. We gotta come up with, with, a, with a lie to cover up what we've done. But honestly, if we look at the text, did they lie? Did they say anything wrong? Did they, did they lie to their father? Absolutely they did, absolutely they did. Though their words didn't come right out and say, "Hey, your your son was was killed and 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 murdered by or killed by these wild animals," look here's the proof. They again try probably try to appease their own conscience by saying, "Well, we didn't actually lie. Dad came to that conclusion on his own." Bearing false witness, guys, is to do anything with the intent to deceive. Whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you don't say. Whatever you don't do, if your intent is to deceive, that's bearing false witness. That is lying. That is deception. We are to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. And we need that help. We need that help because our flesh wants to do what these guys did. Cover our tracks. Try try to get away with as, as much as possible. We need God's help. We need his intervention. We need to be praying for that. Lord, let everything that comes out of my mouth be truthful and honest. Let all of my actions honor you. Even if it means I might get in trouble. Even if it means fessing up and owning up to something that I need to. God help me. Well, it says that they arose to comfort Jacob because he was obviously mourning for days in this. The height of hypocrisy. Verse 36 says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Joseph is sold to Potiphar in Egypt. The dream told Joseph that God had big plans for him, that he was going to use him mightily. The dreams did not tell him that a lot of preparation was required. That there was going to be a lot of things that he needed to go through to be ready to be this leader that his dreams told him he was going to be. It's told us to us in Acts chapter 9 that Jesus said that he was going to show Saul, then Saul, going to be Paul, all of the things that he was going to have to suffer for Christ's name's sake. Saul, Paul, was Jesus revealed to him all of the suffering that he was going to have to go through. I don't know about you, but I praise God regularly that he doesn't do that with me. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I know that if I was to see some of the things ahead of me, I realize that I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not ready to go through that yet. I am going to need a ton of grace before I get there in order to handle it. Joseph is going to need some serious time of total desperation and helplessness to prepare him, to teach him, to learn, to trust in God and God alone because the task ahead of him is monumental. There's no way some 17-year-old kid is ready to take that on. He needs to learn to completely depend on God. And God is going to take him through several tests that are going to teach him how to completely depend on him. But he's going to see in it that God is sovereign, in control, and that God is a providential God. God moves. God changes. God shifts things around. God's in control of how things work, how things happen. If you remember, and if you want to quickly turn back, Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, Genesis 15, 13, God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. God said, Abram, know this for certain. Take it to the bank. Your descendants are going to be slaves in a land that's not theirs for 400 years. Where is that land? Egypt. God's people's got to get to Egypt. The first one just arrived. God God providentially is moving this through. The the Old Testament, the, the scriptures tell us that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. There's a problem with that because the Messiah's parents live in Nazareth. So, what does God do? He gives gives a huge ego trip to the leader of the world. He says, I want everybody to be counted. Go to your hometown, uh, Joseph's old town, Bethlehem. God moves, God's providentially involved. I, I look at my own situation. I had no idea that God would call me to be a pastor. And I look and God's thinking, I gotta I got think that God's working through this whole process, looking way down the road and he's thinking, where could I possibly find a flock that'll follow this guy? I know, <laughs> surprise Arizona. <laughs> now I gotta get him there. And there's a whole bunch of things that God providentially moved in my life to get me to surprise Arizona at Calvary Chapel Surprise. And again, if he'd have showed it all to me at the beginning I'd have probably run off to Norway or something. <laughs> but he didn't. He, he moved. He, he did everything providentially. He knows what's best. He, he knows what we need to prepare us for what is next, for what he has in plan, what, his, what he has in store for us. And bottom line, again, as we, as we finish up here, we can either fight it or we can embrace it. We can say, I, I don't like the way things are going with this and I quit, Or we can say, God, I need you more than ever because I can't walk this path without you. I'm I'm chained to a camel and I'm going to Egypt. And imagine that Shechem is north of where they were living, where Jacob is. Egypt is south. Somewhere they had to pass. and, And Joseph, I got to imagine, as he's walking in the caravan thinking, home is right over there. And he kept being led down this way and thinking, God, how are you, what are you doing? I don't understand it. Learning again to rest and rely and lean on God the whole way. Romans eleven thirty three, and we'll close with this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become his counselor? Who who, who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for this, this story of this man, Joseph. And Lord, how you you miraculously moved in and through this entire story. Lord, it's, it's so exciting to see it unfold before us and know that in the same way, Lord, you are working in our lives. Lord, give us patience, give us perseverance, give us faith to trust in you. And Lord, as we look back in, at some of the things that we talked about tonight, Lord, we Open our hearts before you. Lord, we we lay them open before you and say, Lord, you go through us. You examine us. See if there is any way in us that that is wicked, Lord, that is against you, Lord. Show us if there is any hatred, if there is any jealousy, if there's any bitterness towards anyone. Lord, we lift that up to you. We confess that it is sin. We turn from it, Lord. We forgive anyone, Lord, that we need to forgive right now because you have forgiven us. Lord, teach us to love as you love, unconditionally, totally, completely. Let us, let us love as we ought to, laying down our lives for one another. By your example and in your strength, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you all, God bless you. We'll see you next time.